welcome to Film Fragments, a podcast where we take fragments of an actor, director, and genre and tell you our favorites from their catalog. My name is Brian Suffield. I am your host. I am currently battling allergies, but I'm very excited to welcome you guys to this week's episode of Film Fragments, where today we're going to be talking about our favorite films directed by actors. Creed 3 drops in theaters this week. It is the directorial debut of Michael B. Jordan. We're not focusing on directorial debuts. We're just focusing in general on films that are helmed by actors. There have been so many great actor-turned-directors over the past couple of decades, and crafting together this list was not easy whatsoever. But I'm very excited for you guys to hear my list, and I'm very excited to hear what you guys think of my list, but I'm also excited to welcome today's guest. It is an absolute honor to welcome Patrick Regal to Film Fragments. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. This has been a while in the making at this point, so I'm glad we're finally doing it. I'm so glad that we're finally doing it as well. I'm so, so happy that we're finally getting the chance to do this. So to introduce a little bit about yourself, talk a little bit about what you do, your journey with film, and why you love it so much. Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm the founder and editor of a website called FeaturePresentationVideo.com. We put out free paywall-free stuff five days a week. You go to our website, you put your email address in, we'll send you everything that we do. And we do podcasts, we do reviews, suggestions, newsletters, all that kind of stuff. Um, we run uh, the Vince Vaughnathon, which was our journey through watching every single Vince Vaughn movie. We have since finished that and are now about a month away from announcing our season two uh, actor. A uh, show called White Two Kids, where we revisit shows, movies, snacks, video games, music, and stuff from our childhood. Um, we do a lot over on the site. So. Um, it's a site where we just try to celebrate the stuff that we love. I think this show is, is very similar with that. Um, you know, we don't we don't like to rag on stuff. We don't uh, we don't like to write nasty reviews. We don't like to um, shoot something down. We just like to talk about the stuff that we know that we like. And so, you know, the website normally kind of tends to lean a little more nostalgia based. It's a little more classic. We kind of think of it as like the VHS era almost, you know, um, that kind of late 90s, early 2000s. That's kind of our sweet spot. Um, hence the Vince Vaughnathon, right? Hence Y2 <laughs> Kids. Um, and yeah, it's just a, a celebration of the stuff that we love and, and the stuff that we want to um, celebrate with other people. Yeah, it's very exciting stuff what you guys do over there. The Vince Thonathon is just so, so cool. Like, that's a really cool idea to do a whole marathon focused on one particular actor, and I cannot wait to see what you guys do for season two. And speaking yeah, of, of, of course, of course, and speaking of actors and everything, do you ever get fascinated? Like, how fascinated would you say you get whenever you find out that, that an actor is stepping behind the camera? to be the leader of an entire film are there some hesitations coming from you or are you like yeah i have full faith in them no i'm all for it i think that that's um i i see it personally as a very natural progression i think a lot of actors see it that way um i know that a lot of people regardless of their position um on on a project can get kind of frustrated with their lack of control you know um, and so you see it a lot with directors who, um, you know, the Clint Eastwoods of the bunch, right? Where they go like, I want to make what I want to make. And um, I'm going to do my movies and I'm going to do my stories. And you see them like wanting to kind of take more control of their own career. Um, so, you know, I'm all for it. A very natural progression. I totally, I totally see it. And I'm always, um, always interested. 
Same here, same here. I always get excited whenever I hear that an actor is deciding to step behind the camera to direct the film. Sometimes these actors also find a way of putting themselves in the film too, which I cannot even imagine the juggling of not only directing yourself and the entire cast, but you're also acting in the movie itself. So it's like you're multitasking on one project, which I think is so impressive. And funny enough, for the five films that I have in my top five, the directors, or no, actually three of the films that I have in my top five, the directors star in the films as well, which, I mean, I cannot even imagine being able to juggle all that stuff, but they did an impressive job doing it. And I cannot wait to hear your list. I'm so curious to see where it goes because I don't have a, I don't think we're going to have many similarities. Hell, we might not even have any similarities at all, which makes this even more exciting of a topic to talk about. So I just say without further ado, let's get into our top five films directed by actors. So Patrick, what is your number five pick? All right, so I want to I want to give a quick preface. I know it's your show, but I'm going to take it over with my own rules for like 30 <laughs> seconds, which is I gave myself some parameters because this is a, a really wide topic, and I wanted to just find a way to narrow it down for research purposes, for list purposes, you know. And and so I gave myself a couple. Um, how am I going to define this? You probably did it totally differently, and that's fine. But I, I kind of came up with my own way. Um, number one was. Um, they have to have directed less than five movies. So they have to primarily be an actor who also directs. Um, if, if you know, that's what we're, we're calling this topic. Um, number two is um, they have to have acted in the movie at the same time, which is um, to your point earlier. Um, they have to have um, been both in front of and behind the camera. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm also battling these allergies. And then uh, number three is they could not have co-directed anything. So I have one, for me, a, a, a big personal favorite that got left off the list just because it didn't quite pass the sniff test. And so that sniff test is like, well, I don't really feel like – like I feel like they're more of an actor – or excuse me, I, I feel like they're more of a director at this point, right, um, before we um, – hit record, you know, you mentioned Ron Howard. And to me, I feel like Ron Howard's a director. You know, he, he acted a long time ago. But at this point, I would consider him a director. And I'm trying to think of actors who directed. Okay, there's my preface. I'm done now. Um, so uh, my number five is, this was a tough one and a couple good options from this person. Um, but I chose uh, Ben Affleck's Argo from 2012. Um I really like Ben Affleck. I think he's kind of a goober, and I think that's really why I find him charming. Um, that's like a phrase that we use a lot on our website, and it's like a term of endearment for like when someone's just kind of silly, and what they do is just a little bit like in the melodrama of it all. But that's like that's fun, and that's why we like movies, you know. Um, and and Argo is definitely one of those examples. Um, you know, this story uh, of a bad idea. And how it's the best bad idea that they had, right? This story of getting these um, Americans out of the Canadian uh, sort of like consulate in Iran back in the early 80s and and pulling them out through this making of a fake science fiction movie. I mean, it's, total, it's total nonsense, right? Now, obviously, it's a, it's a true story to a certain degree, right? But I feel like Affleck was the perfect person for this because he rides that, like, kind of silly but also very serious line. He's, like, a really strong storyteller. So hold on. My bad. I hit Siri by accident. Um, 
he's like a really strong storyteller and he totally understands um, story structure, pacing, camera movements. Like you would never guess that this was only his third movie. Um, he totally feels comfortable behind the camera. He also does um, a really strong job in front of it. Um, it's full of really ridiculous moments. You know, I'd, I'd rather count the wrinkles on my dog's balls. You know, that, that famous Alan Arkin line. You know, like, it's a silly movie while also being extremely serious and extremely tense. And for those that have seen it, everybody knows that that, that scene of them trying to sort of escape at the airport is about as tense as things can be. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, just not too long before that, you've got Affleck with the... Uh, what is it like? Why don't we meet them at the border with training wheels and Gatorade? Like it's it's, it's got it's got these silly moments while also being incredibly serious. And I think he was the perfect person to do that. And it's a movie that I just find really charming. And so that's why it's my number five. Yeah, I love Argo. I love that movie. I think it was also a great Best Picture winner. And I know that a lot of people don't talk about it as much as they did back when it came out, but. I think in terms of the best picture winners at the 2010s, it's definitely one of the more memorable ones for me because I remember seeing that in theaters and was just so in awe of when Ben Affleck was able to present, not only through his performance, but the way it was put together and paced and edited and everything. And I think his direction was really outstanding. And even though the film won best picture, it's still pretty criminal that he wasn't even nominated for best director for this. It's still a snub that I just have not gotten over and i can't believe it's been 10 years since that went down it's absolutely ludicrous and it was cool that they awarded the film best picture i think that's great but at the same time it's like you couldn't even nominate the director of the movie you couldn't even nominate him it's really disappointing yeah that's pretty rare that doesn't seem to happen a whole lot and um i actually had forgotten that it had won best picture and then was rewatching a bunch of stuff for this to try and figure out some placement. And like halfway through the movie, I like bolted up and I was like, um, I think this movie won Best Picture, actually. <laughs> and I double checked and I was like, I almost can't believe this. Like, this is like, this movie would be, um, this is a very 2012 movie. You know? It is a very 2012 movie. The, the Ben Affleck of it all, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like, you know, this is not. Um, a movie that would get the same reception now. This is like, oh yeah, you can tell that this is a 2012 Best Picture winner, and I mean that in the best way. Like, I love that era, and it was a really, um, it was a really competitive year. If you if you look at you know the other nominees at that time, um, yeah. But that kind of like silliness, I don't think gets the same kind of um, love that it got in the 2010s. No, not at all. And I like that you brought up how there's some moments of comedy sprinkled throughout that honestly fit at the right time. Like, they're, they're perfect. And, yeah, I love I love Argo. And it's so funny that you bring up Ben Affleck because my number five is The Town. Okay, that's awesome. <laughs> Which is crazy. It's crazy that we have one kind of tie-in so far, same director, different film. I'm a sucker for any movie set in Boston. I don't know yeah. why. I have a huge like love for Boston movies. I love fake Boston accents. I don't. They're so over the top and so ridiculous. Family Pack, Cat, Bad oh, yeah. Pack. I love it. Apple. Like I, I love it. I don't know why, but The Town is a really cool film. It's a cool heist film, and it's the kind of heist film that we really don't get anymore. I think it's an interesting crime thriller heist picture and ben affleck directs this with such a frenetic pace and flow to it and he's really good in the movie i think his performance in argo was better than his work here but i prefer the town over argo i think it's 
more rewatchable than Argo. I've seen this more times than Argo. And I think the final heist at Fenway Park is one of the best third acts to a movie that I've seen maybe in the 2010s. I think it was really riveting and captivating. And I think the entire ensemble surrounding Ben Affleck was really wonderful. Jeremy Renner, he got an Oscar nomination for this performance, and he was really excellent in this. Uh, this was my introduction to Rebecca Hall. I loved her in this. Chris Cooper was great for his little time on screen. Uh, Blake Lively, very out-of-left-field character for her to play. And then, oh my god, what's his name? Pete Postel. I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, rest in peace. What a talented actor. Take it from us way too soon. Um, he was really great, but I don't know. I just found the flow of this to be really, really great. And this was obviously the first time that Ben Affleck directed a film that he acted in. He previously directed Gone Baby Gone, which he was not in. His brother took the lead role for that. And Gone Baby Gone blew my mind. It blew me away. And then The Town, I just showcased to me, like, yeah, this guy's a great filmmaker. Then Argo came out, and I'm just like, yeah, this guy's free through free. I haven't seen Live By Night. I heard very <laughs> not-so-great things about it. Um I'm excited for Air, the Air Jordan movie that Ben Affleck's doing. I'm very excited to see that. But, yeah, overall, the town is fantastic. And, you know, I'm kind of bummed that this is a film that didn't even get recognized for Best Picture. 2010 was a fantastic year for film. Great year for film. The wrong film won Best Picture. That's just my opinion. But, um, yeah, the town, I love it so much. And, yeah, great, great film. So what are your thoughts on the town? Yeah, you know, I actually um, rewatched that to see. I was like, I had a feeling that one of the affects was going to scooch in there, and I, the town didn't. I really like this movie. Don't get me wrong. And as a Red Sox fan, I, I of course love the um, Fenway Park. Climax. Oh, we love a fellow Red Sox fan. Yeah, you know what's up. <laughs> um, but you know, it is. Um, it didn't age as well for me as I wanted it to. I feel like I don't know. It's so. It might sound weird for me to say like, oh, I love the t- 2012 of it all in Argo. But, like, the 2010 of it all in the town didn't age. I know that that seems kind of hypocritical. But something about it, it, it just, I don't know. I could have just been the mood I was in. It didn't quite hit me in the same way. It's still a really solid movie. I think it's one of those movies that relies really well. If you've seen it before, it relies really well on your memory of the scenes. Um, of course, that climax. The scene with the nun masks, like, that's a really great high scene. Um, all the stuff with Rebecca Hall and um, her relationship with Affleck, it all works really well for me. Um, I don't know what about it. Just maybe, just didn't. I had already seen Argo, and I like I knew that it was going to be Argo, and I had made that decision already. Um, it is a really great movie, and I feel like we those two movies are like the perfect era of Affleck because then he would go off to be Batman, and that would take up a lot of his time. And then now he's he's doing the Live by Night, he's doing the Airs, but that like that was the. That was the time where his kind of shtick worked. I'm really interested to see if it works in air um, again because, you know, as you said about Live by Night, definitely mixed reactions there. Um, I'm a big fan of his. I think that he gets a little too much crap, and um, I am uh, I'm interested to see where, where uh, more of this goes for him. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now going into number four, is, what is your pick? Uh, my number four is a movie from 2007. Uh, it's called Waitress. And it's directed by Adrian Shelley. Um, this movie is uh, a really, really beautiful film about a waitress at a pie diner. She lives in the middle of nowhere. She lives with a piece of shit husband. And um, the movie starts with her realizing that she's pregnant. 
and she's going to keep the baby. She's going to, um, she's going to, uh, be the mother of this baby, but she doesn't want the baby and she has no interest in being congratulated. She has no interest really in doing the whole hoopla. She tries to hide it from her husband for a while because she kind of feels like this is what's going to get her stuck, um, in, in this life that she hates so very much. Um, her, uh, I guess it's kind of her OBGYN. I know it's kind of like, a a, a, a one light town. So he might be kind of more of a, uh, um, do it all kind of doctor. Um, but she, she goes to the doctor and, and begins having an affair with this doctor who, who listens to her and finds her charming and cares about what she has to say and cares about her talents. And it's a journey about her finding herself and her finding herself through motherhood. Um, it's a movie that I saw, um, a long time ago, um, enjoyed just fine. Thought it was a strong movie. And then it wasn't until the um, musical that I saw um, a couple times in New York and have uh, have become a pretty regular listener of the cast recording that I was like, this story really has something going for it. And then you go back and you rewatch the movie for anybody that's that's gone movie show movie, gone back to the movie and realized that so much of the Broadway show is pulled from the movie, like line for line, beat for beat. And that should be because, you know, what they were dealing with was just such strong um, source material. And it's a movie that really got it right the first time. Adrienne Shelley, um, she had acted for, gosh, a long time. Um, and this was her sort of big budget. Not even a big budget because it's still an indie movie. But, but biggest budget to that point um, on film. And um, was, was tragically taken from us um, right before the film's release. And so, you know, never kind of got to see the reaction that it has. Um, she plays Dawn in the film, which is a really beautiful part, um, opposite Carrie Russell, who, you want to talk about the 2007 of it all, um, I miss Carrie Russell, I wish she did more things like this, um, who's so charming. Now she's doing cocaine bears. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, uh, I think that so, so many people in this movie are so likable and so charming, you got Andy Griffith. Um, as, as the guy who owns the diner, and I grew up with the Andy Griffith show. So, so much of this is just so heartwarming and so sentimental, and I, I just find it to be so um, successful in its in its dramatic moments, and so sweet and so tender. And it's a movie that I think about a lot. Yeah. So, Waitress is an interesting one for me because I had only seen the movie once a long time ago, somewhere to you. Not when it came out, obviously. I was like 10 years old when it came out. But I watched it a couple years down the road. And then I saw the musical. Um, I have a friend who's a huge, huge Sarah Bareilles fan. And I like Sarah Bareilles as well. And she's like, you got to go see the show. She's coming back to the show. You have to see it for her. And I said, okay, I will go see it. I will get rush tickets and I will go. So I went the first night she came back. This was in 2019. This was at the start of 2019. And I was so riveted by the show to where I decided to watch the movie again. And I loved it so much. Carrie Russell is fantastic. She's so charming and wholesome in this film. Yeah, it's it's so sad when you read the backstory of what happened after this movie was shot with Adrian Shelley being taken from us way too soon in a, a very terrible way of going out like really awful 40 years old just so young and so talented and then i read about how this film premiered at sundance and just the vibe was just it was so sad for everybody because the the leader of the project wasn't even there to see the success of her film 
and it's really beautiful and i'm glad that the musical kind of reinvigorated the status of the film and now more people are checking it out and everything it's definitely gotten the cult following to it since it came out and it's it's so good and yeah carrie russell i would love for her to do more movies like this cocaine bear was not that great <laughs> she was fun in it I, I she looked like she had a great time in it but yeah that film really didn't do much for me but yeah waitress is a very very strong pick for sure and it's so sad that we're going from a very wholesome endearing movie to a basically a downer my number four is wildlife directed by paul dano I love Paul Dano. He's one of my favorite actors working today. When I found out that he was directing a film starring Carey Mulligan and Jake Jonah Hall, I'm like, yes, this sounds great. I love it so much. I love films about broken families, broken households, broken marriages. I love that stuff so, so much. And then all the buzz around this film was very, very high. And I didn't see this film for the first time until almost two years ago. I missed it when it came out in theaters. I didn't get a chance to see it until early 2021. I blind bought the Criterion because I knew that I would definitely like the movie. I watched it, and then I said to myself, wow, incredible stuff. And now Patrick is holding the Criterion as we speak. It's beautiful cover art, beautiful Criterion, just gorgeous. Yeah, it's a very quiet film. It's a very subdued film, but I also think it's one of the best directorial debuts from an actor, not just at the past 10 years, but... In general, I think it's a fantastic directorial effort. Paul Dano should have been nominated for Best Director for this. I also think the screenplay that he co-wrote with Zoe Kazan was beautiful. And the performances from Carrie Mulligan, Jake Hall, and Jan Ed Oxenbold are marvelous. Some of the best work from Hall and Mulligan are in this film. And... I just remember the moment I think that got to me where I said to myself, wow, Paul Dano is a great filmmaker when it comes to setting up the shots and like framing everything was the sequence where the sun watches the wildfires happening in the forest or the mounts or whatever. And it's just like, wow, this looks, this is great. And honestly, it felt like a film from the sixties. I felt like I was watching a film from that time period just felt very vintage even though it wasn't shot on film i was really blown away by what paul dano was able to do for his first time behind the camera and he hasn't announced if he's going to do another film yet but i would love to see him direct more because i think he has a lot of potential to do that and i think it helps that he's worked with so many incredible filmmakers throughout his career obviously paul thomas anderson being one of them denis Villeneuve being another one Recently, he worked with Spielberg, which is very exciting, but it's a really impressive film, and it's quite frankly one of the best films of the past 10 years. I love Wildlife so much. It's a really terrific directorial effort, and when I was watching it, I forgot to myself, oh, the guy that directed this is an actor. And yeah, he wasn't in the movie, but I mean, he, he knocked it out of the park. Wildlife is a fantastic film if you guys have not seen it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen it. I know I just showed off the the um, Criterion, which I do have, um, but I just haven't gotten around to it yet, and it, it, it made my list of, of things to watch um, for this until I gave myself that caveat of the actor also had to have, the director had, also had to have been in the movie, so it just, it became less right. of a priority. I don't know why I haven't seen it yet. Um, Jake and um, Carrie Mulligan are two of my favorites. I, I love her. I think she's brilliant. I think she's still somehow underrated 
Paul Dano obviously Super. has, you know, um, a lot going on in his brain, and a lot of that comes out in his performances, and I've, I've been interested to see how that comes out in his movie. Um, Zoe Kazan, of course, I love her writing. Um, she's written a couple of plays that are, that are really great. Fantastic writer. Um, and so, uh, you know, I don't know why I haven't gotten to this one yet. It's, it's right in front of me, but it just hasn't happened yet, but it's definitely, based on your recommendation, uh, bumping up the list. Absolutely, you definitely should. Especially if you're a fan of everybody involved, you definitely should watch it. It's so good, and it has one of the best final shots I may have ever seen in film. Like perfect last shot for a movie. Cool. No notes. So now going into our number threes, what is your pick? Uh, my number three is a movie from 1996. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, it, it is called uh, That Thing You Do. It's directed by Tom Hanks. It is the story of a one-hit wonder band from the middle of nowhere. Um, they're called the Wonders, but for a long time they spell it O-N-E-D-E-R-S, and everybody thinks it's the O-Neaters, and they have this song called That Thing You Do, and it, it blows up. Tom Hanks signs them. He becomes their, their manager, and they kind of go on this whirlwind like summer of, of exploding and, and becoming this early 60s boy band. Um, and then falling apart, and you know it was never really meant to be. The the, the meteoric rise was about all that they could could handle. Um, it's got a really strong, uh, really likable cast: um, Tom Everett Scott, Steve Zahn, uh, Liv Tyler uh, plays um, sort of the the girlfriend roadie of the group. Um, she's really great. Um, an early um, Charlize Theron performance. Uh, of course, Tom Hanks as the the uh, the manager. Um, it is a very fun movie. You know, we're talking late '90s, emulating early '60s. This is a movie that Tom Hanks wrote um, on his never-ending Forrest Gump press tour, and just wanted something to kind of keep his mind off of that. And I think he really stumbled upon something. It is a really charming movie. There's a scene that uh, everybody who who sees this movie loves, where they hear their song on the radio for the first time and they just turn it all the way up and they dance and sing and they scream and it's just like this moment of like pure um, unstoppable joy and the whole movie is like that even though there are, there is the rise and the fall the fall still finds these like sweet sentimental moments to to make it fitting and to make it you know um, the only direction it could have gone uh, it, it's a really beautiful film really fun film and um, Tom Hanks didn't make another movie for a long time, not until Larry Crown, which I haven't seen because many people have uh, instructed me not to see. Um, but that thing you do is um, is a really fun, really silly romp. I'm not too high on that thing right. you do, which is really sad because I love Tom Hanks so, so much. Um, he's obviously one of the best actors ever. And I think it's really cool that he directed. I think it's really awesome to see him behind the camera. Um, but yeah, I don't know. When I was watching this, I didn't... It's not that it was badly directed. I think I had a problem with the screenplay. I wasn't really engrossed by the characters or the story. But I think for a first-time directorial effort, it was still well done. Like, it was not bad whatsoever. Um, but I definitely am due for a rewatch. I feel like if I watch it again, I might like it more. I don't see myself liking it less. Well, knock on wood. I hope I, I hope I don't like it less, but uh, we'll have to see. And yeah, it's a very interesting pick for sure. And I would love to see Tom direct again. And I think he's talked about wanting to direct again, but he just hasn't found 
the right project to um to bring to life and hopefully he comes across that very soon larry crown's not that bad <laughs> it's okay it's it's fine it's you know it's a harmless little rom-com and him and julia are great together and plus brian cranston's in it who doesn't love that so you know my number three is lady bird from 2017 i feel like i've just been talking about this movie non-stop on this podcast for the last couple of weeks so i'm just gonna keep this short and sweet you guys can listen to previous episodes where i talk about this movie this is now the fourth time in the podcast that this movie has been mentioned i think this is the movie that's been mentioned the most throughout this podcast which is insane um Going into the movie, I wasn't super excited for it because I wasn't too fond of Greta Gerwig as an actor. I just never really found her to be that great. So I'm like, I don't know how she's going to be behind the camera. Maybe she'll be better. I don't know. And this is one of the biggest surprises I've ever seen. I walked out of this movie absolutely riveted by the story that was presented. I'm a coming-of-age film nut. That's my favorite genre of all time. And when you have a film like this, it literally nails everything that you love about a come-of-age movie. The performances are incredible. Sir Sharonin is phenomenal. She's so, so masterful here. Laurie Metcalf should have won the Oscar for this movie. The fact that she didn't is really criminal. Um, the comedy here is really, really superb. This movie is hysterical from start to finish, but it also injects a great amount of serious moments. And... This is the kind of film that you want to see in the coming-of-age genre. There's not much of a plot to it. It just focuses on one school year. This girl, Christine Lane Bird McPherson, as she's trying to struggle with finding her place. She also has this weird relationship with her mother and her friends. And she has, like, two different boyfriends. And Timothy Chalamet is an asshole in this movie, which is so strange to see him do that. Um... But I think for a solo directorial debut, this was really, really great stuff. And Greta Gerwig, just from this film alone, I was so excited to see what she was going to do behind the camera. And I obviously have respect for her in front of the camera, too. I think she is a very talented performer, but I much prefer her when she's behind the camera as opposed to when she's in front of the camera. Regardless if she wrote the film or directed it, although she was very good at 20th Century Women. I thought she was fantastic in that movie. But yeah, Ladybird is charming, wholesome, endearing. It's it does leave you cringing at times because it's like, oh, I could see a bit of like somebody in this. I'll be honest, the fights between Christine and her mom kind of remind me of my sister and my mom. Like I would see some similarities of that. But yeah, Ladybird is one of the best films that I have quite frankly ever seen. It's found a way of making its way into my top one hundred films of all time. It was in my top ten of the twenty tens. And it was my second favorite film in 2017 behind Call Me By Your Name. Fittingly enough, Timothy Chalamet was in my top two films of that year. And yeah, I love Lady Bird so much. And I know obviously this wouldn't be on your list since it breaks the rules. Since Greg right, was not in the totally movie Totally made up but, rules, yes. But um, I would love to hear your thoughts on this film. Yeah, it's a great movie. And, uh, you know, I know that this is, she directed, was it Mistress America? Uh, many years ago i'd have to check um no she, uh, mistress america was directed by Noah. oh it's nights and weekends she co-directed um nights so and i know weekends, that this wasn't yeah. like her debut but this is her solo debut and um mm-hmm. and um you know it's interesting because that was only this is only her second movie now barbie's gonna make four right and i'm already mm-hmm. at the point now where i feel like she's a director she's a writer and a director yeah. who used to act right 
And obviously she's yeah. made that kind of clear in her career path. You know, if it wasn't for being in Bombax's last movie, um, it had been a, it would be a really long time since she had last acted, you know. Um, it kind of seems like mm-hmm. she's transitioning more more in that direction. And she's really great at it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to Barbie. Um, Little Women was, of course, a smash. Lady Bird, um, I think, touched a lot of people. Um, she definitely knows what she's doing. And, um, yeah, it, it's, it's a really great, beautiful movie. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, where do you stand on Little Women, just out of curiosity? Um, I like it quite a bit. Um, it, it was my introduction to the Little Women story. Um, yeah. Same same it was my introduction to that as yeah, well and uh and so i feel like i got hit with and maybe you you felt this way as well a lot of like the dramatic surprises that people have known for centuries now you know um mm-hmm. or i guess 150 years or so whatever long it's been um, yeah. you know that, that people people knew about the the burning of the of the book and stuff you know and so like those were all heavy hitters for me and so um i appreciate it for that i think she did a really great job of telling that story um, she she totally knows what she's doing, and I'm definitely definitely all for she it. Does. And like this this Barbie thing seems so silly, and but with this crew she's put together, like I cannot like that's the kind of silly that I love, and um, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm I'm definitely rooting for it. It, it. We have no idea what that film is going to be, and I'm so excited to see what it how it turns out. We're supposedly getting the, at the time of this recording, we're getting the trailer next week debuting for it, another a full trailer for it. So I'm not ready to see it, but I'm like. <laughs> I, the curiosity is so freaking high because I have no idea what direction they're going to go with this movie. Yeah, I think um, I have some ideas. I'm interested to see if the trailer um, matches up with some of those. Um, but if there's somebody I trust to to ground this a little bit, it's her. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now our top two. This is going to be very, very fascinating. Uh, the two films that I have in my top two, the actors are starring in the film. So we have that in common. And I doubt we're going to have these two films um, combined. I'm, I, I highly doubt that these two films are on your list. But I'm so curious to know what are your top two. So what is your second favorite film directed by an actor? Uh, my number two is from 1992. It's directed by Gary Sinise, and it's his adaptation of John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. Oh, such a good – that's such a good pick. Yeah. That is such <laughs> a good you. pick. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, you know, um, him, and, him and Malkovich, of course, playing um, the two um, sort of literary icons from, from the novel. Um they had, you know, these two guys know each other very well, very intimately, you know, from their work uh, at Steppenwolf Theater, which they had at that point been doing for 20 years. And that's where this story originated. They did it on stage for many years in Chicago at Steppenwolf. And so by the time they got around to making the movie, it was they, – they knew it. You know, they knew how to do this. They had done it eight shows a week for, you know, I think like a year at that point. Kept extending and extending and extending. And so, like, they knew that they had something on their hands, and they knew that it was a hit. And translating it to film was basically like, let's just get get out of the way of this story. You know, John Steinbeck is one of my favorite authors. Um, I think he touches on a certain feeling of... America, and I hate to be cliche and say the American dream, but in a way, the American dream um, that few people touch on, where it is this sentimentality, but also an understanding that it's probably all bullshit. And all of his stories um, 
go in that direction, and I think that they're really haunting, and and the the power of them is is always really inevitable. And so when it comes to this of mice and men, you can tell that they're like, let's just do the Steinbeck. I mean, so much of it is lifted from the page, word for word. Um, the novel short. The novel's only like a hundred pages. I mean, the first time I read it, I, mm-hmm. I really like went into the park and I read it like in like two hours or something. I mean, it's like, it's really short, you know, it's... Yeah, I remember reading that in high school and I was like, wow, this is really right, tiny. Exactly. This book is so slim, it's Yeah, ridiculous. for sure. And like, they're totally able to like hit, because of that, they're able to hit everything in the novel, you know? They're able to just do the novel on train. Obviously not every single thing, you know, but like um, the highlight reel is is much easier than the highlight reel of, you know, an 800-page book or whatever, right? Um, and so what they do is they just present it authentically, and and Sinise is so likable in his role. Malkovich really goes for it, which I don't know when he doesn't, but he really goes for it there. And they they knew that they could shepherd this film in a way that would honor the original story. And all they had to do was just uh, do it in the way that they had known so well after the past you know, couple of years doing it in Chicago. And so they are they're very successful in telling the story, I believe. Yeah, it's a great, great adaptation of the source material. And if I'm not mistaken, Gary Sinise had never directed anything else after this, right? Uh, Is this the only thing I he's directed? I believe so. Yeah, he directed the original stage production. And so I think that that was just the natural progression. Like, we're just going to keep the band together and, and move it to film, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if he had much of an interest in it, but um, those those Chicago theater roots are definitely deep in this one. They are. They are. It's a very solid pick, and I haven't seen this movie since high school, and I've wanted to rewatch it for a long, long time, and I definitely now might have to now that we're talking about it. I, I can't tell you the last time I talked about Up Nice and Men with somebody. <laughs> I can't even tell you that. It's been so long. Maybe since they like paid tribute to it on The Walk of Dead when The Walk of Dead was still good. <laughs> that might have been the last time that I talked about Of Mice and Men with somebody. So Yeah, I think people just like assume yeah, it's that very... it's stuffy because it's like a classic novel, and it's like you know, anything yeah. that you like is on the the AP literature reading list, people go, Ugh, you know. And I think that's because, like, a lot of the, yeah. like, late 90s Scarlet Letters and Crucibles and stuff maybe weren't as successful. Um, but this, I mean, as an English teacher myself, I would never advise doing this. But this, you could just watch the movie instead of reading the book, and you wouldn't miss anything. You would ace your test because it is a perfect adaptation of the book where they change nothing. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely, 100%. My number two is a very, very recent one. And this is a film that a lot of people were so curious about because the director of the film had never directed before. He is a high-profile actor, an actor that a lot of people look up to and respect. His co-lead had never really done much acting before herself. She's a, a very celebrated musician, but a lot of people are like, how is it that she's going to perform in this movie acting-wise? And this is not the first time that this movie's been adapted. This is the fourth adaptation of this movie, and as a star is born from 2018. I'm a big Bradley Cooper fan. I have been following that guy's career since I first saw The Hangover and just seeing him go from being the funny leading man in comedies to doing these Oscar caliber performances, Silver Lines Playbook, American Sniper. I never thought 
that we would get the day where Bradley Cooper directed a film before. At one point, Clint Eastwood was supposed to direct this, and Bradley Cooper was going to be starring in it. And then Bradley Cooper decided to take on the realms of directing. And then he decided to stay in the leading role. And this was obviously a big, big project from the tackle because, like I said, this isn't the first time that Star is Born has been remade. This is the third remake of it. Hadn't been remade since the 70s where Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson were in it. And a lot of people were saying, Bradley, if this thing tanks, it could really ruin your career. Not just as a director, but it could really tarnish your whole career. So you gotta do good with this. And my goodness, he knocked it out of the park. I remember when I first saw the movie, and just in the first 20 minutes alone, I was like, damn. Bradley Cooper knows exactly what he's doing behind the camera. Then when the film wrapped up and the credits started rolling, I was like, that was really masterful work. The musical numbers are so beautifully directed and helmed, and... It's shot so gorgeously by the always great Matt Lepetique, who is the frequent cinematographer on Darren Aronofsky's movies. It's so funny. I don't know if you know this fun fact, but the same weekend that this movie came out, Venom came out, which was also shot by Matt Lepetique. So it's very interesting that these two drastically different films shot by the exact same person came out the exact same weekend. It's absolutely wild and very euphoric. And Bradley... The thing with this film is that this is a big film to do for your first time. You're directing these extras and you're directing these concert sequences. And Bradley's in practically every frame of this movie too. There's obviously certain sequences where he's not there. But he's in about 95% of this movie. So he's there the entire time. And again, he's also directing himself too. And that's an impossible thing to pull off directing yourself and he knocked it out of the park this film got a lot of award nominations it was a big awards contender i don't understand how he wasn't nominated for best director considering he was getting nominated everywhere else for directing and it's one of the better directorial debuts but the academy seems to have a problem when an actor does their directorial debut by not nominating them they did the exact same thing with regina kane for one night in miami where i was for sure that she was going to get a director nomination, but they didn't even have the guts to nominate her. And it's really disappointing because that was one of the best directed films of that year. And A Star is Born was one of the best films of 2018. Bradley, I think this might be the best acting he's ever done. Lady Gaga knocked my socks off. I thought she was phenomenal. Sam Elliott was great in his little time on screen. It's a really terrific debut. And the emotions are so high. The movie just left me in a blubber mess i watched it so much during that award season i saw it probably like four times in theaters i watched it with my friends i saw it with my girlfriend at the time um i had never seen my friend more sad at a movie than this like this really hurt him and i was like where did these waterworks come from you never <laughs> cry during movies this is like a massive shock to me but i'm so thrilled that this was such a success for Bradley Cooper, and I'm so excited to see what he does with Maestro. I cannot wait to see it. I think that, that could be a ma major awards contender come next year. I mean, we're almost done with the awards season for this year. Thank, thank God we're <laughs> almost done because I'm ready to move on, to be honest. But I cannot wait for Maestro. I'm really, really excited to see what he does for that.
And it's my number two. So what are your thoughts on Stars Born 2018? This is a movie that's definitely grown on me. Um, it is not one that I, I um, loved right away. Uh, in fact, walking to that first screening, I had quite a number of problems with it. Um, but the more it sat with me, um, the more I understood what it was doing, and it definitely grew on me. Um, I think, uh, you know, and I mean this, I mean this in an endearing way. But I think Bradley Cooper is a goober, and that's why one of the reasons why I like him. I think he's a silly guy, and I think in that Affleck realm, he he rides the line of silly and serious, and he finds silly moments in serious things. And there's a lot of silly moments in *A Star Is Born*, you know. And he's he's finding, um, you know. Uh, the reverse, right? He's pulling in Dave Chappelle, a comedian, to do a dramatic thing. You know, like he's he's interested in in where that division is. Obviously, coming from his his comedy roots, um, and so I think it, it took a long time for a lot of it to settle in with me. Um, but after a while, I definitely um, definitely started to get what he was doing. The song is a banger. Okay, um, shallow. That song that song uh, is a bop. Um, Lady Gaga um, continues to impress me and grow on me, and I feel like she's another person that um, the more I sit with her stuff, um, the more I like it, and so that this is um, this is very indicative of all those things for me. Yeah, and what's your hype for Maestro? Where do you stand? Wow, well, you know it? that's an interesting one. Um, I'm 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 into it. I'm I'm see how it goes. Um, you know, we got like that one still so far, whatever it was. And um, he's got the look for it. Um, obviously, you know, another epic, another musical epic, um, another uh, musician, uh, composer, life story, you know. Um, so he's uh, he's riding that wave. Right. Um, so I'm I'm uh, I'm down for it. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. That could be Netflix's major awards contender this year since they're distributing it. And it's just crazy because if that thing gets nominated for Best Picture, it's going to be like produced by Bradley Cooper <laughs> Martin Scorsese, Steven Spielberg, <laughs> Todd Phillips. Yeah. It's like stacked. It's stacked. Yeah, I forgot that that was a Netflix and I, That's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I feel like Bradley Cooper, if the cards are played right, I think he could finally win his first Oscar for this movie. Maybe whether it's for his acting or for the writing or for the directing. Hell, even the film could win Best Picture. We don't even know. We have no idea. But... I feel like this is going to be the Academy's way of saying we're sorry that we haven't <laughs> awarded you yet. Like, it's time. And we're sorry we didn't nominate you for Licorice Pizza. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant in Silver Linings Playbook. I think that that movie gets um, yeah. gets a little too much crap. And um, he did the same he did the he's same so, thing there, right? Finding the so humor in, in the in the really serious, right? Um, he's, very, he's very good at that. And, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Very, very excited to see that. So now our number ones... I have no idea what your number one is. And when everyone hears my number one, they're going to be like, what the <laughs> fuck? So I'm really curious to hear what your favorite film directed by an actor is. Yeah, so I uh, I actually broke one of my rules for this one. <laughs> because, you know, I gave myself these um, completely made-up rules that meant absolutely nothing. But just try a, a way to narrow down research, right? Otherwise, it would, you know, I'm watching a, a billion things. And, like, you know, we're at the point now where, like, yeah, Clint Eastwood is an actor, but he's made 50 movies. Like, he's a director, you know? Um but this for me is um, – this uh, director is not in front of the camera for this movie um, but had, had a very long, very successful career in front of the camera. Uh, made this film, and, it, and at the time it was a flop um, and just a total flop and uh, um, critically a mess and sort of ruined his chances of ever making a movie again. 
And then he died thinking that the movie was a bomb and that nobody ever liked it. And it has slowly gone on to be sort of considered one of the greatest films of all time. And it's, and it's one of my personal favorite movies. Uh, it's, it's, it's top five or top ten for me. And that would be um, Charles Lawton directing uh, The Night of the Hunter. I don't know if you've ever seen The Night of the Hunter. I've I've never seen that one. I've always wanted to. It is to. Um, such a great movie. 1955. Um, after you know, Lawton did um, a lot of. I mean, he was a a popular actor because you know he he took on some major roles. He played Quasimodo. He played um, uh, the. Uh, Dr. Moreau character in Island of Lost Souls. Um, he was a big, really broad guy. He did stage stuff, you know. And um, he directs this movie that is very, very serious. Um, it is about uh, basically these two children. Um, their father um, stole some money and hid it on their property. And he, he tells the older boy where he hid the money before he's taken off to jail. In jail, he's sort of muttering in his sleep one night and talks about money buried on the property, blah, 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 blah. At that moment, um, Robert Mitchum, who is his cellmate, hears all of this and is just about to get out of jail and goes, tracks down his family and sort of schmoozes his way into being the stepfather, schmoozes his way into being like the town's new preacher. He pretends to be this this sort of religious um, you know, revivalist. Um, and it becomes this sort of like really dark fairy tale of running away from the big bad wolf. And there's all this gothic imagery and it all takes place at night. And it's got this really beautiful – not all takes place, but there's really great night sequences. It's got this really um, interesting contrasting black and white photography. And Mitchum um, is one of my favorite actors and probably you know the scariest he's ever been in a film, which says a lot about the guy who's in the original Cape Fear, right? And um, if you have the criterion – um, Blu-ray. There's a second disc with a documentary called Charles Lawton directs the night of the hunter. And it is two and a half hours of what they distilled down from eight hours of behind the scenes footage, which was not really a thing that existed in the 1950s. You know, they weren't making behind the scenes docs for their DVD release, you know, like um, it was kind of just like home video footage, but it's of him behind the camera directing his actors and this is a guy who had spent you know 30 maybe plus years at that point um having acted so this is a guy who had been waiting for his chance and knew um knew what he wanted he's he's a very if you watch this documentary he's a very intense director um he will drill people on one inflection in one line you know he really gives shelly winters a hell of a time in in this documentary um you know and then uh he Never gives a single note to Robert Mitchum because Robert Mitchum was exactly what he wanted him to be. And, and you see him coaching the kids, and it's like – it is like um, this is how you direct a movie in two and a half hours. And so I feel like this was the most indicative of – not only is it one of my favorite movies and probably would have topped this list regardless, but I feel like this is the most indicative of like when an actor goes off to direct and when they take those acting sensibilities and what they understand about um, moments and beats and intentions and – operative words and uh, how to play your part in a story and how he wants to do that through every single actor in the film um, as, as the film's director. Um, it's, it's a beautiful film. It's really haunting. It's really scary. Um, and he does a really, really great job. And it's a shame considering that, um, you know, he thought nobody ever liked it when it turned out to be um, what, what is damn near perfect.
Yeah, I need to see that film so badly. I've heard enough of the great things about it for however long it's been. And yeah, I definitely am due for a watch. It sounds very much like a film that I would eat up and love. And as soon as I watch it, I will definitely let you know how I feel about it. And I love how our number ones are two drastically different films from each other. Because my number one, as I said to you before, this is a film that's critically very well received. It does have a very strong following towards it but if you talk to a lot of people online they're like this film sucks this film tries to be a wannabe graduate and it tries to be something alongside like mike nichols or something along those lines and everything okay maybe it might be a little like similar to that maybe that's the same vibe that this person was going for but the reason why this film is my number one is because i've seen it countless amount of times and as a fellow New Jerseyan, we don't really get a lot of movies that are very focused on New Jersey. So this is kind of near and dear to my home. And the actor that took on this film, he, he's someone that I've looked up to my entire life. Someone that I've respected so long. He is the star of my favorite television comedy of all time. He's directed three films. He has a fourth one coming out very, very soon. A lot of people like to have put this guy down because he used to date someone called um, Florence Pugh. And, I mean, now they're not together anymore, so it really doesn't matter. But I have so much respect for Zach Braff. So Garden State being my favorite film directed by an actor. I can acknowledge right now that it's not the best <laughs> film directed by an actor. I just want I want to I preface that right now. This is not a better made film than A Star is Born or Lady Bird or Wildlife or The Town or any of the films that Patrick brought up. But it's my favorite film directed by an actor. I've watched this movie so many times and maybe I'm biased because this movie was shot in Jersey. It was set in Jersey. It's literally called Garden State, which is what New Jersey is referred to as. I, I never understood why it's called the Garden State. I still don't understand that to this day, but that's a different discussion for another time. What I love so much about this movie is that you see this side of Zach Braff that you hadn't seen from him before. Scrubs have been on for a few years. JD was such a fun, peppy character. He was very joyful and very optimistic and everything. But then this character of Andrew Larchman is a complete 180 from JD, a complete 1A. He's depressed, he's reclusive, he's isolated. He hasn't been home in 10 years. His mom passed away, so he's coming home to see his family, and then he just starts to rediscover himself, parts of himself that he felt were gone forever. And I think for a directorial debut, it's really, really great stuff. And this is the kind of film that I love. It's very sweet and wholesome. It blends comedy and drama really beautifully, in my opinion. This movie is absolutely hysterical, but it's also very tender and wholesome when it has to be. You know, there's a sequence where he's literally in the waiting room of a doctor's office and a dog is humping his leg. And it's hysterical, to me at least. I think it's hysterical. Other people may be like, that's dumb. But I don't know. I, I find it to be absolutely hysterical. And then the needle drops in this movie are insane. The soundtrack for this movie won a Grammy. And the amount of music that's in this movie is just so insane to me because... You have music from Simon and Garfunkel, fiddling enough, speaking of The Graduate. You have a song by Coldplay. You have The Shins. 
You have Colin Hay, who was the lead singer of Men at Work. Um, you have Nick Drake, Iron and Wine, Fro Fro, Bonnie Somerville. You have a great soundtrack here. And I think Zach Braff brought the story to life so beautifully. And, you know, it's nothing extravagant. It's nothing that we haven't seen before. But it's a very charming 2004 film. It feels very 2004. It feels like a product of its time. Has it aged well? Maybe it hasn't to some extent. But I have found this movie to be really special and near and dear to my heart. I remember watching this film for the first time about 10 years ago. And the movie's going to celebrate its 20th anniversary next year. And I don't know. It opens up with a Coldplay song, which is an automatic win for me since that's my favorite group of all time. And then the ending is one of my favorite ends of all time. The ellipses, it's him and Natalie Portman at, at Newark Airport as he's about to leave and they're just talking and he's just like, you changed my life and I've only known you four days and it's so beautiful and it's a really great directorial debut. It's good that he started off doing something this small for his first feature and I like how as soon as he was finished rapping that season of Scrubs, he went into making this movie and then as soon as he was done with this, he went back to filming Scrubs. Like, the dedication is really impressive. And, you know, we don't have a lot of New Jersey set films anymore, which is unfortunate. The last major New Jersey set film was Clerks 3, which I actually really enjoyed. I actually had a really fun time with Clerks 3, all jokes aside. But Garden State is great. I get why people hate it. But at the same time, it's like I feel like I'm a, alone on the island of, I love Garden State so much because everyone's like, it sucks, it's so bad. And it's like, well, it's not that bad. There are far worse directorial debuts than Garden State. I understand Garden State's not the best, but it's just very near and dear to me. And, you know, there's a quote that Zach Braff uh, said when he was writing this movie because he took some elements of his own life and incorporated it into the character of Andrew Larchman. He had wrote this when i wrote garden state i was completely depressed weighing tables and lonesome as i have ever been in my life the script was a way for me to articulate what i was feeling alone isolate a dime a dozen and homesick for a place that didn't even exist i think it's really fascinating that he took elements of his life and incorporated it into his script i always find it really fascinating when writers take elements of their personal life and incorporate it into the screenplays that they bring to life and you know, again, it's a very impressive directorial debut, and the impact that this movie has had on independent cinema is really impressive. And I know that a lot of people are like, well, this movie coined the uh, Manic Pixie Dream Girl phrase, which it probably did. It's obviously a staple to that term, but my God, I love the movie, and I love all the performances in it. Natalie Portman's fantastic. Pierre Sarsgaard's great. Jean Smart for her little time on screen. She's hysterical. I love Jim Parsons' one single scene. I think it's really funny for him, pre-Big Bang Theory, to be in this. And Ian Holm, as Andrew's father, I remember when I first saw this movie, I had just watched Lord of the Rings for the first time, maybe about a year prior. And I'm like, why does this guy look so familiar? Like, I'm like, who is this guy? And when I realized it was Bilbo Baggins, I was like, <laughs> what the fuck? I'm like, his American accent is incredible. It's so good. Like, you wouldn't even think that it's Bilbo Baggins, but it's a committed acting right there. Yeah, Garden State is one of my all-time favorite films. And again, even though it's not the best film directed by an actor, it's my personal favorite film directed by an actor. So 
if you've seen Garden State, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this film that really a lot of people should not be dissing as much. I don't appreciate the Garden State slander, everybody. <laughs> um, you know, very interesting. Not only do we not have any crossover in our list, but we also both haven't seen each other's number ones. And I think that that, um, that gives us both some homework, right? Um, I think if a movie means that much to somebody, you should give it the time of day. You know, I, I have it. I just missed this one. Um, it's definitely got some folks in it that I like, and it definitely sounds up my alley. Um, and your your recommend def- your recommendation, excuse me, definitely um, uh, makes me want to check it out. Um, we do uh, like a twentieth anniversary series on the website, um, so you shouldn't have said twentieth anniversary because now I might wait a year to watch it and, and include it in next year's series. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely your recommendation is definitely bumped it on my list. Yeah, it's it's really worth watching at least once in your life. It's so so good, and I can understand the problems that people have with it. But man, for its directorial debut from the guy who starred in Scrubs, it's just so interesting to see him do this for his debut instead of a straight up comedy. I think it's really impressive what he's been able to do behind the camera. I I'm a big fan of Wish I Was Here. I think that film is so underrated and so underappreciated. I really enjoyed going in style, which wasn't more much of a Zach Braff movie. It was more like a studio comedy, but like I think it's cool that he directed that, and I'm really excited for his next film, A Good Person, which has Florence Pugh in the lead role. I'm very excited to see that. Um, but yeah, I've I've loved Zach Braff my whole life, and maybe it's just a biased thing because Scrubs is my favorite comedy series of all time, and I also just saw Zach Braff in person a little over a month ago, which. I'm still like over the moon about I'm still shocked that that even happened. And then he reposted a picture I took of him on his Instagram story. And I literally <laughs> died like in the moment, like I literally ascended to heaven in that moment. I was like, Oh my God, this is not even happening. But yeah, I, yeah. Garden say is so good. So before we talk about some of the films that didn't make our list, let's recap our list from five to one. So Patrick, what is your uh, list? So my number five is Argo directed by Ben Affleck. Uh, number four, Waitress, directed by Adrian Shelley. Uh, number three, That Thing You Do, directed by Tom Hanks. Uh, number two, Of Mice and Men, directed by Gary Sinise. And number one, The Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton. And to recap my list, coming in at number five is The Town, directed by Ben Affleck. Number four is Wildlife, directed by Paul Dano. Number three is Labor, directed by Greta Gerwig. Number two is The Star is Born, directed by Bradley Cooper. And number one, Garden State, directed by Zach Braff. So that is it with our list. Let's talk about some of the films that didn't make the cut. I'm sure there's so many films that you want to give a shout-out to. So what are some of the films that you want to mention? You're on mute. Okay, sorry. I had to cough for the night. I muted myself. Um, You're good. Yeah, so there are like three to four uh, things that I want to give a shout out to. Um, one is the town. I was like, I know Affleck's going to be in there somewhere. Like I said, I kind of just preferred Argo more, but I do really dig that one. And um, I love the Boston of it all. Um, also, um, a first time watch for me on this list, um, which is why I didn't qu- quite make it up there as like a favorite, but one that I thought was really strong, um, was Sling Blade, directed by Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, I yeah, love that movie. movie. Ooh, I, I watched it about a week ago as as research for this, and wow, that one hit me hard. You touch him, you touch him, <laughs> boy, I kill you. <laughs> yeah, for a long time, you know, I actually I wanted to see this movie for a really long time because I saw like a commercial or something where he goes, it ain't got no gas in it. And I was like, okay, I have to see that movie. <laughs> um, and I finally got a record for this, and um, it's uh, 
very dark um very very night of the hunter similar sensibility it, actually um could make a good double very like dark that. um uh, a couple others he won an Oscar oh, for it. Right. He that's won an right. Oscar for it for the screenplay. Um, Coriolanus, directed by Ray Fiennes. I think he um, uh, did a really strong uh, job adapting, adapting a very difficult Shakespeare story um, to film. And then another uh, play to movie, uh, Denzel Washington's Fences, um, where he kills it opposite mm-hmm. Viola Davis. Um, that's another one in the in the uh-huh. same realm of um the steppenwolf of mice and men where they had done it together for nine months on broadway and then it was just let's just do this on film and uh sort of immortalize this and um that's a really strong one as well yeah i am gonna start off by shouting out a quiet place from john krasinski i think it's absolutely fantastic what he was able to do with this it's really impressive what he was able to bring considering the fact that a lot of people are like oh that's jim from the office he can't do anything else but but, but play jim no he's a he's a terrific filmmaker i really enjoyed the sequel as well i haven't seen any of the other films that he's directed. i'm very excited for the one that he's doing with um ryan reynolds and steve carell i forgot what it's called on the top of my head but I'm really excited for those. Um, funny enough, I do have a Denzel Washington film as an opera mention. It's not Fences. I do really like that movie, but I'm actually going to go with his directorial debut, Antoine Fisher, which I think is super underrated. Nobody has talked about it. Nobody has seen it. You would think because Denzel Washington not only was in it, but he also directed it, like, oh, people would be very curious about it. It's a really heroin story and so good. Uh, the Gift from Joel Edgerton uh very good horror thriller i was very blown away by it i remember seeing the trailers and being like this looks like ass this looks terrible but man you can't always rely on the trailer when you go into a movie because sometimes the trailers misrepresent the movie then you watch the movie and you're like wow this is way better than it ever ever should have been um trying to convey anything else on top of my head i i there's so many i know that there's more to think of but um it's really tough it's really tough to choose uh one night in miami regina king like i brought up before uh mid 90s from jonah hill uh, what becoming one of my favorite coming of age films of recent memory i'm a, as i said a big coming of age film guys so i can't help it sometimes let me ask you this. Would you consider 8th grade a film directed by yeah, an actor? Sure. Yeah, I, that would be a high honorable mention for me as well because I'm a big Bo Burnham guy. I love him as an actor. I think he's a fantastic comedian. And I'm I'm waiting for him to direct another film. If 8th grade's the only thing he ever directs, I mean, that's a good one-time directorial effort because, my God, I mean, oh, it was too good, too good. Um, Jordan Peele. Oh yeah, I think he's proven himself to be a fantastic filmmaker. I love all three of the films that he's done so far. I think each of them are so different from one another. Uh, Tropic Thunder from Ben Stiller, I think, is one of the funniest films I've ever seen. Big from Penny Marshall. That almost made the list. That was right outside the top five for me. It's one of my favorite comedies of all time. It's one of my favorite Tom Hanks films. Um, and I just, I, I love that movie so much. It makes me laugh every single time, especially the sequence where him and John Hurt are fighting on the court. And he's like, give me the ball, you little shit. 
so it's so it's so good. And then I the last honorable mention for me is going to be You know what? I haven't seen this movie in forever. Actually, no. No, no, no. I'm going to shout out Elf from Jon Favreau because um, it's a Christmas classic in the Suffield household. How is that movie 20 years old? (laughs) I don't understand. Like, oh my god, I can't wait that that movie's two decades old. That's nuts. But yeah, there's so many to choose from that I'm probably forgetting, but... I'm curious for everyone to tell me their favorite films directed by actors. And yeah, I just want to say, Patrick, it was such an, a blast to have you on today to talk to you about the films directed by actors that we love. So thank you so much for coming on. I had such a great time talking with you today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Like I said before, it's been a long time in the making. Glad we could finally make it happen. Uh, giving me the chance to shout out some of our pods and our website and stuff. So I appreciate it. Absolutely, absolutely. And I just thought it was the perfect time because we're getting this film directed by an actor. I'm so excited for Creed 3. The reviews that have been coming out have been really strong. I'm so excited to see what he's able to do behind it. Yeah, I I saw it last week and I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm so hyped. I'm so excited. I cannot wait to see it. So where could the people find you online? Yeah, so I'm uh, at Patrick J. Regal, everywhere you find people online. Um, Boy, I would love for folks to go is our website, FeaturePresentationVideo.com. Like I said, we're about a month away from announcing who the star of the Vince Fonathon Season 2 is going to be. So we're doing this thing that we're calling Movie Star March Madness, where every day throughout the month of March, we've assigned a different celebrity. And we're talking about that person, talking about their movies, um, podcasting on them, writing about them, whatever. And one of those people on that sort of list, bracket, calendar, whatever you want to call it, is one of the people that's going to be our Season 2 celebrity that we're going to spend a a year watching all of their movies like we just did for Vince. Um, So it's it's like a very exciting time um, for our site right now. And so um, it's going to be a big kind of party over there. And I, I hope folks uh, go over and visit. Yes, please go over and visit their work. They're doing amazing stuff over there. I will put links in the description below. And you guys can follow me on all social media. at Brian Suffield. You guys can subscribe to the show on any podcast and platform of your choice. We have a Twitter and Instagram so you guys can stay up to date with what's going on in this podcast. Stay tuned for great episodes coming your way with great guests, great topics, all that jazz. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, thank you guys so much for sticking with me on this journey. I really appreciate each and every one of you. And I will see you guys for the very next episode of Film Fragments. Take care, everybody.